0: Welcome, adventurer, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 34 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. My name is Patrick. King Scott here. And King Scott, we've got a chock-full episode as we always do. Josh is going to join us for Lost Loot, our review game today's Cryo. We're going to talk some of our recent adventures, and we're going to give you some tips about selling games. Scott, what have you been up to? I am actually
1: done with the festival. It is oh, over. Hallelujah. And now then I look at my game topper and I see all these games waiting to be played. It's like a best of times, worst of times, so it's like, yay, I get to play games now, but then I have all these other things I need to do that have been put off while I've been doing this. Slowly but surely, I'm going to tackle this stack here and get through some games, and my plays are going to be definitely going up from now on, which is going to be awesome.
0: I tell you what, the stack of games is, it's a blessing and a curse. It's bittersweet having that stack. (laughs) I have a stack in the office right now. So Chrissy's traveling for work. Mm -hmm. So the office upstairs became second game room, basically, for games that have been coming in. I bought this big lot from a dude in Pittsburgh, and then I got some games in the mail. I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. I have so many games that I get to play. And it's like the barrier to getting to play them is having to sit down and read the rule book. So, mm-hmm. like, I'll sit there at the office and I cracked open the rule book to coffee traders. I was like, this is a meteor. I really want to play this. I've been eyeing it up, and the rule book, you know, boom on the table. It's like, okay, maybe not coffee traders. So I put it away <laughs> <laughs> and, and I went, I like took it back a step to something a little bit lighter. Okay. Maybe not that. And finally, Biblios. Okay, I guess I can learn Biblios. It's four pages, and uh, I made it through learning Biblios. So that's going to be the big play with my brother coming in from Texas this week. We're going to awesome. get in some gaming with my brother. Yeah, it's it's exciting stuff. You know what we're not going to play, though? What? Descent. Oh, why not? Because I sold it. I oh, sold oh. it, Scott. So New Descent, I, I talked about this a few episodes ago, and I said it was the first app-driven game that kind of crossed over you know and felt mm-hmm. more like a video game well you know what the, the gamey part of it outside of the app really was just like there's no meat in the decisions like i yeah. felt like okay i'm just moving and fight like one of my complaints with the older app-driven games was that there's this built-in artificial clock i didn't like that i was always up against the clock that was the app like mm-hmm. you better hurry up or the like in descent second edition it would say oh the pending doom and you take a damage and eventually it would even say like pending doom in two turns, you're going to die. Oh, it's like, what? Oh yeah. So like you really, it was like crap or get off the pot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they removed that. So you could search everything. And at first I really loved that, but it turned into open the door, kill the bad guys. And then click, 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 click on the tree, click on the tree, click on the desk, uh... click on the cauldron, and then take your time. Cause you don't have to wait. Just move everyone up to the next door. Open the door, kill the baddies, click, click. And killing the baddies is like, okay, I'll fight. I'll I'll swing my axe and swing my axe again. Then yeah. the next guy's up. I'll shoot an arrow and I'll shoot another. He's dead. Okay, good. On to the next one. It just didn't feel gamey enough for me. So Descent 3rd uh, Edition, uh, unfortunately, I can't recommend it. And I've since moved on from it.
1: Well, hey. There are times that we need to take a look at those things. And actually, this is great because this is going to come into our discussion topic at the end of the show here. So, this is, the, I'm going to tuck this in the back of my head here Ooh. so we can bring this back up and tie in
0: with selling of games. Well, not just on the selling end. How about the buying end? I see you got a, a, a few deals lined up lately. Yeah, I, I actually went out
1: and I found a copy of Discover Lands Unknown. So, this was. Fantasy Flights, big thing with every game was going to be unique. Every game was going to be different. You got it for $60. Boom, here you go. Kind of like
0: Keyforge, Forge, but instead of a deck, a whole board game. Yes,
1: and it didn't take off. It came out, went Tanked. boom, and disappeared. Our local place here in Pennsylvania, Ollie's. Love Good Ollie's. stuff, cheap. They have a $60 <laughs> game for eight bucks. Hmm. So it's bucks? If yeah, you just wanted to salvage things, the it's pieces, like,
0: pieces, it's worth it.
1: Uh, you you got to take a look at it. Luckily, that is a solo one, one to four players. So that's one that's on my table to get out and give it a try. So I, I don't know. I mean, if anyone has played Discover, please go on our Facebook. Let me know what ones you got. I think I got the Badlands and the Valley, I think it is.
0: Hey, you want to talk cheap pickups. Did you see my post about Humble Bundle? Oh, my
1: gosh, yeah. Did you get in on it? I haven't had time to really look at it.
0: Scott, get in. What's wrong with you? Okay, this goes through October 29th. Adventure's Humble Bundle has an Asmodee sale, 23 games for 12 bucks. Wow. I I don't know if that average changes. For me, it was like $12.52. Uh, You could get like five games for $5, or you could get 15 games for $10, or all 23 if you paid more than what the average person paid, because you can chip in a little extra if you so choose. It's for a good cause. Uh, So (laughs) it's like 12 and change, 23 games, and they're not throwaways. You get like Ticket to Ride with five different versions or expansions. Wow. You get the Lord of the Rings LCG. Oh, wow. Small World with three expansions in there game of thrones you get the game of thrones board game in it too terraforming mars is part of this lot (laughs) blood rage is part of the lot too amongst others just hit after hit i was like man i can sit on my computer for days for 12 bucks i bought video games before for 60 dollars that i played for an hour and i was like yeah i don't like this yeah yeah oh you can't go wrong so that's humble bundle asthma day sale that goes through october 29th adventures uh, uh I don't know where to Google. You know what? Look on our Facebook page. Just look on the Level Up Board Game yes. Podcast Facebook page and scroll down till you see that link because that's a good one. So you look at the calendar now. Origins
1: is over. So okay. it's 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 done. It's over. It's gone. We didn't get a chance to go. I was really no. upset. But thank you to one of our listeners, a friend of uh, a friend of ours that's still trying to get together with us to play some games. Lana went to Origins. Well, she figured for a little fun, let's take a picture of King Scott with us and just take him around Origins. So she went around. I saw on the first day she was there, I think Friday morning, I got a picture first thing in the morning of a picture of me on the bed against the pillow. And her quote was, well, your majesty, I hope you're well rested. It's going to be a long day. And she just took pictures everywhere. I was trying out games. I had lunch at Subway. I was trying out some more games. I had some complete unknown people take pictures with me. It was a blast. It was so much fun looking at it, trying to figure out where I'm going to show up next. (laughs) And actually, it ended up that a lot of people told her that this is a great idea. Whenever my friends can't go next year, I'm going to do the same thing and take a picture with them. And we're going to take pictures everywhere. And it was just such a fun way of getting around to do it. Instead of just looking at all the pictures from Origins, this year, I felt a little bit like I was a little more connected than just watching the pictures.
0: Yes, yeah. You know what? I went from happy to you to wondering why no one did that for me. Oh, that, I'm that sorry. was awesome. I was enjoying those pictures too. <laughs> but yeah, that Good was stuff, that was a great time there. Do you see Jason? Jason had on his Level Up shirt. Jason had on the, the mm-hmm. official Level Up polo shirt. He put the card uh, in his cap. He was looking sharp. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was our booth babe there, so I'm thank you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling him booth babe tomorrow. <laughs> Scott, I have an event planned. I can't oh, no. contain my excitement for this. This I have never been more excited for a game day than I am for this Sunday! Sunday! Sunday!
1: We'll sell you the whole
0: seat, but you only need the edge. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I've got an epic eight player Twilight Imperium with Prophecy of Kings expansion ready to rock. You know what makes this exciting? We did, I had my buddy Mike come over, but I, I put all the races, there's 24 different races. So I put all the races out on the table and we said, okay, this one is one. And then just read across one, two, three, four, uh, five, six. And then we did four rows. So you've got 24 right. different races on the table. Then we put down everybody's name. So there's Patrick, Mike, Steve, et cetera. And then we took a deck of cards, any random way of generating numbers, one to 24. I just use a deck using ace ace to eight of diamonds is the mm-hmm. ones and then. Next up is the the next, you know, 9 through 16 is the clubs, etc. And we would flip cards. We shuffle them up and we, okay, Pat's turn. Flip. Universities of Jolnar. Flip again. The Arborak. Flip again. Clans of Sar. And you pick. Like, what I did was, I set this up as a Facebook event. Oh, adventures. You ever want to build up the hype, get people excited for your game day? Something like a, a game like Twilight Imperium where you have these asymmetric races. What you do is you make the event. Then you invite a bunch of friends. You make it exclusive, right? Nobody wants to come to my house, but if I say, first eight seats taken, get it, don't don't miss out, then it's like, oh, wait a minute, all the cool kids are doing it. And I said, don't click that you're going if you can't go. Once you say that you can make it, you're expected to be here from 11 in the morning till 8 in the evening. It's a whole day thing. No kids, no work, no nothing can get in the way. So we got our eight and then we did this little draft and I, I messaged everybody. I said, okay, draft's over. Here's the three that you get to pick from. And all week, like my phone would buzz and I'd look down and it'd be like one of the players. Like, and and say, oh, <laughs> he's going to be the nomad. So in come all the picks, and I get to post it on on the event, like the next challengers. You remember on uh, Super Smash Brothers. I don't know if you ever played Super Smash Brothers. That might be after your video gaming time. Okay, so if you're going to unlock a character in Super Smash Brothers, let's say that I'm Mario and I beat Luigi, uh, and then I beat Peach or something. Once you get on a streak, it's like, oh, a new challenger is approaching. It gives you this screen with a silhouette, and that's all it says. A new challenger is approaching. So I took that, and instead of like the silhouette of the guy, I would put the uh, the picture of the faction from Twilight Imperium poof, on that. And I posted that. So be like a new challenger is approaching <laughs> Nalu. And it was like, Oh my goodness. So all eight of these trickle in. Then we did the map. We did map seating at random too. So everybody knows where they're going to sit and everybody knows who their neighbors are, what races they are, etc cetera. I'm pumped. Oh, I'm so pumped. I bought so many meatballs. We're going to do meatball subs. We're going to do barbecue chicken. Ah. Oh. <laughs> i don't know why i said barbecue amazing. chicken like that i'm just i'm that excited <laughs> oh and mike keeps they keep on messaging me like dude did you realize this did you realize that and I, I keep shooting them out like uh all the all the details like listen listen to this space cats peace turtles podcast they do episodes for each race so if you're not sure how you want to play your race listen to that episode it'll be two hours you'll learn everything you need to know about how to play the of clans of sar <laughs> for example we're all jazzed up and excited. My brother just came in from Texas. He can't play. I'm not excited about seeing my brother. I'm excited about playing Twilight Appearance. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't think he listens to the show. So. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely great whenever you can build up that fervor about a game that you're going to be playing. And you have everything planned and you're ready to jump into it. That's fantastic. And I hope you guys have a, an absolute blast playing that game.
0: Absolutely. Anything lined up for Halloween, Scott? Well, I'm actually waiting
1: for, there's a new edition of Arkham Horror LCG coming out. So oh. Fantasy Flight put out their Marvel Champions and it was huge success. So with that in mind, they kind of figured, hey, that one went over really good. So let's do that to Arkham Horror. And they're also doing it to the Lord of the Rings card game too. And it's just like the perfect time to play the game with Halloween going on and just spookiness and the leaves changing. And it's getting cooler outside. This game is just so thematic with how you play the game. You you look at the room that you're in and then you have to flip over a card and see what happens. Well, you fall into the basement. Well, the basement is just like this horrible place. Well, you're going to you never want to be sanity. in the basement. Yeah, you're going to lose some sanity, so you need to
0: find a way to get out of it. It's just such a great game. Now, have you played this one at all? I bought the, uh, this explains why it was on sale. I was at Barnes & Noble when I was working in Altoona. They had Arkham Horror LCG, I think, for like 10 bucks. And wow. Like, yep. So I bought two copies, uh, passed one along and the other one I hung on to, and it's sitting on the shelf in shrink. My wife left for Kentucky for work, and I was like, you know what? While she's gone, I'm going to learn this. It is still sitting on my shelf in shrink. <laughs>
1: Well, I will have to show you how to play that whenever we get together again.
0: That's always the block. You show me how to play and mm-hmm. I'll I'll be playing it as I, I have sometimes I struggle, man, to sit down with a rule book and, and get it done.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'll revisit I'll-
0: that for my level up at the end of the episode. I got a good one.
1: All right, all right. So that sounds awesome there. But yeah, that's that's mainly what I'm uh trying to get in there for Halloween. I know Right now, there's so many that are out. I mean, you still have Horrified with the old Universal monsters. You got the new Horrified. New Horrified. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even still, you've got uh, what is it? Alien. The Escape. Fate of the Nostromo. Fate of the Nostromo. I mean, that was always considered to be a haunted house
0: movie in space. Scott, what's your favorite horror movie?
1: Oh man. Favorite horror movie? That's an on the movie? spot. You've yeah, got
0: six seconds.
1: That is a tough one. I've got to say my favorite horror movie, I guess you can call it a horror movie in a way, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil.
0: Okay, no idea what that is. What? Did you say Tech and Chip and Dale vs. Evil? Tucker and Dale
1: versus Evil. Yeah, no clue. Oh my God, you have to watch this movie. You will love this movie. I guarantee okay. you will
0: love this movie. I'll give it a whirl.
1: Oh, oh, oh! Trust me, you will. Oh my God, I can't believe you haven't watched it. You're gonna love it.
0: Do you have a favorite horror monster?
1: I have always kind of liked the tall man from the Phantasm movies. Yeah, I don't know that
0: one either. Oh wow! Don't don't even say it. I'm not gonna watch all these. No, movies.
1: no, no. Phantasm. <laughs> that one there is just like an acid trip.
0: Well, I was just curious. We got to so get on yours? to some recent play. Favorite? What? Which one? The creature? What's your or the-
1: favorite uh, horror movie?
0: Uh, I don't. I don't know if I have one. You know what? I don't really like horror movies. I okay. don't have anything against them. I just eh. – I like the ones that are like in your head or in some way tie into religion because it's like, oh, oh yeah. okay. So, that there, this has some grounds in, in people's belief structures or, or in their mental capacity. I can't think of a good example off the top of my head. There was uh, – what's the one uh, – was it Conjuring? It's like a haunted house yes, movie. yes. I thought Conjuring was, was pretty good. I thought that one was, was creepy.
1: Yeah, I'm going to stop there for one second. Another one that you need to watch if you like those kind of things mm-hmm. is House of the Devil. See, they scare the shit out of me, too. Well, so. well no. It's, um, <laughs> it's more of like a recent one, but they make it feel like a 1970s kind of movie. I like that. It's all, like you said, like the whole thing of the religion aspect and stuff like that. Really fantastic movie. They You could tell that they really love those kind of movies and put a lot of work into making that movie great.
0: Hmm. We do have to get on with some recent plays. We've been pandering a bit. This is fun, but I think people are tuning in because they want to hear about what we've been playing lately. You ready?
1: Exactly. Let's do it.
0: Well, Scott, I had a chance to play Alien Fate of the Nostromo. Oh. <laughs> this one. We talked. Uh, we talked a little bit last episode about Nemesis, which I'm yes. glad to say was back on the table just a few days ago. It was a hit yet again. Uh, Steve <laughs> was in from Texas. Nemesis, as most of you know, drew some pretty heavy inspiration from Alien. This oh, very is the, much so. Yeah, drew a very heavy amount. Uh, needless to say, I was not going to let this game get away. And as you might remember, Scott, this is one that I picked up at Target, and the box is all beat up. Right. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I never did try and return I was like you know what it's one beat up box on a easy to get I'm just gonna live with it so this is Ravensburger 2021 game designed by Scott Rogers what is going on in fate of the Nostromo first and foremost this is a cooperative game players are going to assume the roles of characters from the alien movie like Ripley and Dallas and Lambert the board represents the Nostromo imagine that consisting of rooms and hallways and whatnot one of these rooms is the nest which is where the alien starts the game it's kind of tucked off on the corner Your objectives can actually vary from game to game. So when you set up, Scott, you're going to have this pile of random objectives and you flip up three of them. And then you have Mm -hmm. a final objective from a stack of five. So it's like, okay, we got to do these little things before we get onto this big thing. So what's happening on a player turn? You have an allotment of actions that you're going to use to either move, pick something up, craft or use an item, or trade with somebody. So very simple. Most of the time you're just moving and picking stuff up.
1: Wow, that sounds an awful lot like Nemesis.
0: <laughs> I, we'll get there. Okay. Picking something up and crafting an item is kind of the the heart of the game. So you're going to see the board with scrap tokens at the start of the game, which you need to accumulate in order to create a flashlight, a flamethrower. Like the flashlight might need two pieces of scrap. Flamethrower might need four pieces of scrap. Now, these items do have utility in your gameplay. Like, you can open up the flamethrower against the alien, and it'll it'll run away or run back to the nest. But more importantly, those small objectives that you drew at the start of the game, they almost always require having certain items in certain places. And frankly, the final objective in both of our plays required that we had certain items in certain places. So you finish your turn, and then you draw an encounter from the encounter deck. And this is basically going to be a card that's going to move the alien a couple of spaces or it's going to be an order card that messes with your items on the board if the alien moves to your space oh oh no what happens you're going to have to run away you move a few spaces away and collectively the crew loses morale that's your game tracker and if your morale meter ever hits zero it's game over man The game also introduces a variable through the use of concealed tokens. Think of it like a closed hatch. You just put these face down in rooms throughout the Nostromo setup. And if you enter one of those rooms, you flip the token. It's about 50-50. Half the time, nothing happens. The other half of the time, it's like a small hindrance. You lose two morale or Jonesy is on one of them. And if you don't have the cat carrier, Jonesy hisses at you and you lose a morale. That is essentially... Alien Fate of the Nostromo, which I'm sure from the sounds of it, it sounds like about 34 other co-op games that we've all played before. You know why? Because that is exactly what it is. Scott, I wish I could start talking about all the extra flavor and the variables and the immersion. I wish I could talk about the rising tension and the nervous card draws from the encounter deck. I can't. I can't call it a bad game. It's not a bad game. Everything functions, but I'll call it a boring game. Uh, oh wow yeah it was fine everything functioned it just didn't didn't do anything special for me it might be a case of having graduated from such a simple system which is what right. this is i think it'd be a great game maybe for younger gamers but there's one small problem who loves the alien IP
1: yeah right right it's
0: old not guys be young
1: kids yeah yeah
0: these movies i mean they have extra movies but one two and three what alien aliens and Alien 3, is that what they're the first? The trilogy. I do it's Alien the trilogy. 3,
1: Well, no, they like to call it a quadrilogy now.
0: Oh, what? Because so, of uh, Alien Resurrection. Well, the third one came out in the mid-90s, right? Yes. So 25 years ago, and if you were 10, you're at least 35 now. It, this game feels like it's remarkable for that 10 to 14. Like, this is our intro to co-op. And look, it's a theme that you like. But the 10 mm-hmm. to 14-year-olds are like, what's Alien. Or they may have heard of it, but they're not like, oh, I love this IP. I suppose it's perfect for a spot on a Target shelf. Because if we're not gamers and we're walking through Target and we see that, we might be, oh, a board game about Alien. We might pick it up. We're not going to be overwhelmed. We might even be blown away by it. Right. Right. But for you, dear listener, uh, you're a gamer. You're so much a gamer that you're listening to a board game podcast. <laughs> for you, uh, honestly, I think Alien Faded Than Stroma would be a cold, hard pass.
1: Uh, that's a shame to hear because I was really excited whenever I saw that. It looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's disappointing to hear. This didn't do
0: anything for me.
1: Uh, boy. Hey, Adventurers! Today's 8-Bit Breakdown is the 2021 game Cryo by Tom Jolly and Luke Laurie and distributed by Z-Man Games. This is a worker placement engine building game where you're one of the last few survivors that have crash landed on a freezing planet. Your goal is to rescue as many of your fellow shipmates in any of the four sections of the ship that crashed on this planet. You will do this by sending out drones, and collecting resources, building vehicles, and trying to minimize the tensions amongst the survivors. On your turn, you can do one of two things: send out drones or recall your drones. As you can guess, it really isn't that simple. Setting up the game is a little time-consuming. You have the main board and then each player has their own player board to collect their resources, special abilities, and vehicles. On the main board, You will place, depending on the number of players, destroyed landing bays for the drones. These will limit the places for you to land and get resources. Also, you will place resource tokens on the sections of the ship that you will all be racing to get before your opponents. You will also be dealt five cards. These cards are rather unique as they can be used of one of three things. In a very cool layout on your player board, you can use the cards as a vehicle, or as a special power that only you can use, or as an end-of-game bonus. The one final thing that gets placed are the incident tokens, which I'll get into a little bit later. Once the boards are set up, it is time to take your turn. You will deploy your drones or recall your drones. When you deploy your drones, you will land them on landing bays on the different sections of your destroyed ships. Each of these will have three or four adjacent actions to them, depending on the placement of destroyed bays. When you land, you can collect resources. These resources can either be used immediately for what is listed upon them, or remember when I said that this is also an engine building game? Well you can place them on your own personal mat to create an ongoing engine. The second action is recalling your drones. On your player board, you have six areas to land your drones. Each one of these have an area that you will place your resource tokens in order to gain bonuses. It could be a straight-up bonus. You land a drone there, you get something. Or it will be a cost in order to gain something else. Now, this is not just an I go, you go type of game. You can recall your drones before all three have been deployed to steal the first player action from your opponent. The incident tokens that I mentioned earlier are placed on each section are very important. These will trigger the end game. At the top of the board, there are six places for incident tokens. When you recall your drones, Not only do you shore up your player board, you also resolve a token. These can be resources that are being looted or a sabotage token that will destroy different sections of the ship. Once all of the incident tokens have been used up and the final one has been placed, you can continue to play until someone resolves the large one, which can be right away, or you can gamble that you get another couple of moves before that happens. Now, the bottom of the board shows underground caverns that you can distribute your survivors. There are a number of ways to get them there, but the most forward way is through the use of vehicles. These vehicles can take a number of survivors to the caverns before nightfall comes and the planet's surface freezes over, killing all those still above ground. There's still a lot to go into this game, but this gives you a general idea how to play Cryo. A mission gone wrong. Tensions continued to mount aboard your colony ship as the days dragged on. An anonymous act of sabotage has sent the ship plummeting to the surface of a frozen, uncharted planet. Damaged beyond repair, the scattered remains will do little to protect you from the brutal cold.
0: Oh my, dire circumstances we have for the theme here in cryo. Very nice, King Scott. I like that. Hey, you want to know where the coldest place is on Earth? Where is it? (laughs) I just happen to know this off the top of my head. The Eastern Antarctic Plateau in Antarctica. Between 2004 and 2016, satellite data collected across Dome Argus and Dome Fuji, an area around the size of Australia, suggested that air temperatures could be around negative 94 degrees Celsius, making this the coldest temperatures on Earth. But researchers think that with the dry air in the area, it could cause temperatures to be even colder. Ouch. I shiver thinking about it. I don't even think that's shivering cold. That's burn your skin cold. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, no, there's there's nothing cute or happy about it. I mean, shivering is like, ooh, I'm shivering, I'm cold. No,
0: no, 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 no. <laughs> Rosy cheeks. No, this yeah. is bleeding cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's say we hit the 8-bit breakdown of Cryo, starting with the art and components. I, I like them. I mean, it's it's nothing
1: really fancy or anything. The components are great. You have these drones, these plastic drones that you move back and forth. Great tactile feel to them and everything. Really, really nice. And then you have your life pods that your crew are in. Uh, that's you get a bunch that, of them. It yeah, comes they could with have a lot easily plastic. been a block of wood. But no, they mm-hmm. decided to make a little plastic pod. Yeah, it
0: looks like a pod. I like that
1: you do get a ton of these little cardboard chits that you're going to use for resources. And each one of them, the engineering, laboratory, and R&D area, those all have a number of these things for up to four players. But if you're only playing two players, the amount of times that you're going to be using different chits, I mean, it really, really makes this game great for replayability
0: and stuff. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but telling you about the components here. And you know, they're functional too. I mean, those little chits, they fit right into your player board because you're building that engine on your player board and and you just pick that little diamond shape up and plop it right in. And it it actually feels like you're building the engine because you're inserting it into the the little inset on the player board. I did like that. Yeah, I, I like that they give you all that plastic. It's nothing to write home about, but it. Is definitely better than a cube. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's 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 quite functional. There's not a lot of artwork in the game, and, and what there is, it's kind of comic book art. Like yes. the card art is like okay, you know this. It it's you're not going to be blown away by the art, but it is unique. It's unique to Cryo. It feels like it belongs in the universe that this game is created, and I like the board. Never mind that the board is chock full of action spaces. This is a very busy board, but behind it all, you can see the surface of the planet. And it's kind of, I don't know if I want to call it comic booky or simpsons It really, this
1: type of artwork here, now this, once again, I'm showing my age here, but this artwork really reminds me of like 80s heavy metal comic magazine that they had out. Hey, there you go, yeah. And it really looks like, like almost like a French artist or something like that. Not Mobius or anything like that, but still has that type of look to it, a feel to it there with that artwork. The boards that you have for your drones and your energy and everything else, it would have been so easy for them to just print out a little sheet of paper and say, here's where you put everything on, like uh, Terraforming Mars did whenever they first came out. But right. But they right. went and they made a double layer board, so all your pieces fit into it. And Even that the ships was...
0: have a nice little spot. Yeah. Whenever you so recall that was pods something... to the board, they get the little inset there for your pods.
1: Yeah, that was something there that they easily could have overlooked, but they did that one extra little thing that really brought the feeling of this game up a notch.
0: Well, let's move on to bit number two: theme and immersion. Cryos presenting us with a planet that's becoming ever colder. We, we crashed on this freezing cold planet. When the sun sets, is just going to be too cold to survive. So we got to get pods of humans into underground caverns. What'd you think about the theme and immersion, Scott? The theme
1: I definitely got. I mean, you get the feeling of you need to get these resources in order to power vehicles to get your people into these underground caverns. Mm -hmm. As far as immersion goes, I don't know if I really was immersed in the game. I think it just kind of got into a feel of a race. I needed to get things done. But I didn't really feel like my crew are depending on me to get them to the caves.
0: Yeah, same for me. But I don't think that this is a game that's trying to uh, have you experience the story. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, they put the story there. You kind of get a feel for everything. It kind of gives you a reason why you're doing things. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's really the main reason to play the game.
0: Right, right. They, I'll tell you where they did nail it, is there is a sense of impending doom as you see those time tokens dwindling. Mm-hmm. There is a ton of stuff that you want to do, and you can't do it all. There's there's definitely a time crunch. I would guess 90% of games, you can't get all of your paws off the board. You can't play that last card. No, You can't play those. Uh, get those last few paws into the cavern. This is a very mechanical game, not a theme game. But it does offer some immersion in the sense that you're in a time crunch. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. <laughs> Hurry right, up. Right, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk complexity bit number three. How challenging is it to grok this game? Well, the complexity, whenever I first looked at the rule book,
1: it seemed really deep. I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff going on. There are a few things that I, I was unsure of. So, of course, then you go quick to the interwebs and you go to youtube and look for a couple videos to kind of clear up some questions you have this game relies a lot on symbols that's the main thing there there's not much writing there's some writing on the cards but everything else is symbols so Mm -hmm. some of the symbols are a little bit tough here whether it's a green arrow or blue arrow what goes where is it coming or going but once you get that down it's really not a complicated game. And once that's out of the way, it invites you to come back in and play the game. So once you right. get over that little speed bump, it's a nice feel of a game. It's it's just a nice weight. Probably right in the middle for weight, wouldn't you say? Definitely. I mean, whenever I first looked at it, it started to feel like uh, I'm in over my head a little bit. But once I got through it a couple of times, I was like, let's get this bad boy out and play it again. What did you think?
0: Well, it's not a family game, but I don't think any of your gamer friends are going to have a tough time learning it. Um, Mm -hmm. Where it becomes complex is in the decisions that you make, the timing of them. Like We didn't realize at first, but there is some tactical decision-making to be had simply in when you're going to recall your ships. Mm -hmm. My first thought was, why would you ever recall your ships early? And then we had that one setup where only one of us could take advantage of putting pods down into salvage to get that recurring benefit. And it was like, well, how... How is, how is one player ever going to take this away from the other? Most action spots on the board, there are several different placements adjacent to it. So if Scott and I are playing one-on-one, there's three different placements next to this specific action. In that game, two of them were blocked at the beginning. And the blocking tokens, which you have in work placement games, the blocking tokens are random. So that one spot, which is typically a really... I, from what I'm gathering, I think that's a really solid yeah. early game strategy. Both players are going to want to be doing it. Only one of us could. I, well, that, that's not fair. How's he ever going to be able to take this back? Well, if you recall your ships early, that's one way to change the the turn order. I thought that was right. kind of uh, kind of interesting. And and some we'll call it emergent complexity. Your player board has spaces that are going to trigger whenever you recall the ships and you get to fill them in throughout the game. Uh, In this way, you do have control over what resources are going to be plentiful or scarce for you, and that shapes your game. So you have a little bit of control in that regard. It helps to have an idea why you're going for any given resource. And I like that while it is generally a linear game, there are some different approaches you can take to to getting to the finish line. All in all, though, complexity, I think we both agree, it's right in the middle. Not a family game. None of your gamer friends are going to, have any trouble learning it though? Right, right. I'll defer to you for bit number four, the rule book.
1: The rule book. I said about it seemed like a little bit deep whenever you get into it. But then again, you have to stop and think. A lot of times, I look at a rule book and I try and just skim through it real quick and like jump in and try and play. It. That never works out. I I, I should <laughs> learn by now that you got to read the rule book from front to back. I mean, it's always that way. But. It is, I mean, you have two main actions you need to do. You deploy your drones, you recall your drones. That's Mm -hmm. basically it. Everything else is small variations on those two things. They go very well in the rule book explaining if you're going to deploy, you can do this, 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 and this. If you're going to recall, you can do this, this, and this. Everything's there. They give you examples really the rule book is is very well laid out and a lot of examples in here really works well if you read it like you're supposed to <laughs> so as long as you read the rule book it's a good one now then i got to toss this one off to you the learning curve how did you think about the game whenever you were playing it
0: well i felt like i knew how to play after the first round or mm-hmm. two and come time for that second game, I knew exactly how to play. Like, there was literally no, no questions to be had. Credit the graphic design because there's bas- basically nothing on the board that you're going to have to question more than one time. Right. There's a lot, but a lot of it's redundant. Like, this one has a leaf. This one has a diamond. This one has leaf slash diamond. This one has leaf leaf. This one has leaf gear. It's like, okay, that's that's a lot to soak in at first. Mm-hmm. But then once you learn those symbols, it's like, oh, man, this there's just... The learning curve was easy. And, you know, I, I always look at this like, well, Pat, you play a lot of games. You know, what if you wanted to teach us someone who doesn't play a lot of games? Maybe it would take a game. Maybe it might take a learning game uh, for someone who's not, we'll say, a hobby board gamer to grasp. Right. This definitely feels like a game that you're going to be able to get better at. You're going to be able to improve at. Mm-hmm. I feel like we both made a lot of errors in our first play. And then as we continue to play the game and play it again... We were improving. It was like, okay, I see the strategy of doing salvage, and then I see how I'm going to get them off of there. I see how I'm going to get real deep into that cave and maybe score a majority for being down there. Uh, I like when the learning curve isn't just how hard is it to understand how to play the game, but how long is it going to take me to get good at this? And typically, I want a game that's going to take me a couple plays before oh, I can come into it with a strategy. Cryo does that.
1: Like you said, with your strategy, the one game we played, you played with the salvage and you were just getting resources left and right. But then that that game didn't feel fair. (laughs) But the thing (laughs) is that there are ways that you can go against that and just like let that person go ahead and get all that stuff. You can go out and get other things. You can set up your board how you want to do it, where you're recalling your drones to. You can set up how to pay and get different bonuses. So there are ways to mitigate someone who just takes over the the strong uh, strategy of the game and Mm -hmm. be able to still win by not doing that. I mean, there's, there's a lot to this to unpack and play this
0: game. Well, let's unpack a little bit of it in bit number six replayability and variability. All right, so in Cryo, we have variable covered spaces in any given game, which, as we just said, we found out can dramatically shape the game. In the case of our, uh, in that one game that we did, it was uh, the recall timing. If you wanted Mm -hmm. to shark the turn order, The cards that you're drawing, they have four different uses. Chuck it for resources, use it as a vehicle, score points with it, or use it as an upgrade. These factors are going to shape your game and potentially make it different from the last. Mm -hmm. The cavern tiles vary, but who cares? Uh, wouldn't you, they were all similar enough doesn't yeah doesn't much, okay so this one requires diamonds to get into this one requires leaves i don't really care the order i guess that's something that if if it's revealed mid-game and it's like oh man this one wants leaves and that's the one thing that i'm kind of scarce on that can spoil your game but that feels more like a an rng factor as opposed to a shape the play factor mm-hmm. i do wish that there were a few more cards like the turtle vehicle, for example, uh, it, well, the turtle card has four different uses. It can be the turtle vehicle, but it can also be chucked for resources. There are several different copies of Turtle in the deck, and they all have the same four uses. Uh, so I wish there was a little bit more variability there. Uh, I love, love, love that players have control over the end of the game. like yes. that when that last sunset token goes down and it's on the board. The game doesn't end until somebody takes it off the board at the end of a recall action. So if you're trying to catch up, you want it to stay there. If you have the lead, you want to swipe it off real quick. And if two players are unsure, well, you might get another uh, another couple rounds of play right. of it. I, I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Yeah. It, there are little tidbits in this game that really shine. That's that's definitely one of them. Whenever you recall, whenever if you want to recall at different times – That's Mm -hmm. another one that's great, that that really lends to a different experience each time you play it. And like I said, also, whenever you're flipping over the tiles with the resources to get, those are always random every single time that you play. So you'll put those out there, plus you have extra ones. That's going to be different every time. There is a ton of variability built into this game. It's been a while since I've played a game that I'm just
0: like, I want to get this out and try it again. I, I think I know how to win this game. Well, sticking on replayability and variability, I will say, I'm guessing you'll agree with this. Without a doubt, I think that there are actions that are more valuable in the early portion of the game. Oh, yes. And then actions that are more valuable in the middle. And then obviously actions that are more valuable in the late game. So early game establishing the engine, late game getting pods underground. That's just the natural... That's the natural arc of the game. That's the mm-hmm. way it's going to play. I think once players make that discovery, which they will in game one, the replayability is going to come from finding different combinations of tiles for that engine. How much do they want to emphasize the engine? How much do they want to work on upgrades? How many cards do I want to use for points? Things like that. Because that general that general arc, ramp up and then get underground, that's not going to change from game to game.
1: No, no. you. You have the typical ABC that you're going to follow for each and every game, but it all depends on how long you stay on a compared to B compared to C. And it's, it's nothing like you're going to really change it up and go ACB or, or whatever you, you need to follow those letters in that order in Mm -hmm. order to be successful at this game.
0: So that's kind of a downside. Bit number seven, any downsides, I'll lead it, because I kind of just said it. is going to play in a linear fashion. You're going to ramp up your resource production. That's all but necessary in the early turns, and it's all but useless in the latter portion of play. You're, you're never going to, as the game's dwindling down, take a hex and put it on your engine to try and you know, squeeze a bunch of value out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mind when a game lacks a catch-up mechanic, but if that's something that bothers you, cryo doesn't have it you're going to score what you deserve by the end of the game it's not going to hold your hand or say you know what you're not doing so it's not going to give you any breaks let's put it that way what do you think downsides for cryo if you are kind of
1: person that really thinks overthinks your moves this is going to be a horrible game for you because (laughs) you kind of have to
0: or an excellent game
1: oh well true (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it's one of those ones where you need to just kind of go with your gut and go and get the things done. If you take too much time looking at at the turns and what you want to do, it's going to feel like a slog whenever you're playing this game because there's not really much to it. It's pretty simple whenever you look at it. Yeah, but... there
0: will be turns where there's one or two spaces that jump out. There's yeah. a lot of spaces to pick. What are there, 16 or some different spaces on there? There oh. are some turns where you just look at the board and you're like, I want that one. And if it's not there, I want that one. Mm -hmm.
1: But that's that's really the only downside I can think of with this game.
0: Well, was it fun? Let's bring it on home as we do with bit number eight. Tell me, Scott, was Cryo fun? I say yes. I
1: thoroughly enjoyed it. I wasn't sure if I was going to get it to the table or get a chance to play it. It kind of sat there and it eh, didn't really do much. I would throw it in my game bag and didn't really like say, hey, let's try this game. But I'm glad I finally did, because like I said, it, this was a diamond in the rough that I wasn't expecting to be as much fun as it is. This is definitely like you said, this is for gamers will pick this up. Definitely not in-law approved. If I sit down with my in-laws and try and explain how to play this game, <laughs> they're going to be staring at me like I have a, a elbow growing out of my forehead. But yeah, it's definitely a good game. And if you have a chance to play it, give it a try. I mean, it's definitely worth a play.
0: Yeah, I thought it was fun too. I don't know the shelf life like if we do our look back a year from now. You know what? That's what's going to save it. A year from now when we're doing a look back, uh, I think the way that we're going to approach this Scott since we are coming up on one year, we're going to be doing look backs here pretty soon. And I think that the way that we're going to approach it is, you know, how amped up are you to get it back on the right. table? A lot of a lot of shows do the like, well, we didn't play it at all this year, but we're a podcast, so we have to play new games. And some of, you know, well, I got to play it twice. I still like it and they just reiterate. I think what we're going to do is like if somebody brought it to the table today or if you were hosting a game day would this be in your lineup i think cryo is one that a year from now i'm going to look back and say yeah you know what i i want to get this back on the table i had a great time with it It who's it for this is definitely not for your thematic group. This isn't going to be for your Ameritrash group that wants to roll a bunch of dice and have battles. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's interactive in the way that most worker placement games are in that I might block a space from you. Uh, I might shark the turn order to take that away from you. You know, if you like having a lot of control over the engine that you're building and being up against the clock, having that, that pressure of, you know, we don't know how many turns we're going to have, but it ain't going to be a lot, Cryo is an excellent game for you.
1: Yeah, this is definitely one, whenever you say about sharking the first turn and everything, this is a game that has the ability to have a lot of dammit moments in it. Yes, <laughs> yes it, yes, and it does. And you know, whenever we say, if there's a dammit moment in it, it's a good game there. So that's it's, it's definitely got those built in.
0: Well, that is the 8-bit breakdown of Cryo. Cryo. Next up, we got to take it over to Josh. He's going to give us some lost loot talking about, what, do I want to spoil it? Ah,
1: just let them figure it out for themselves. Brave adventurers, Mondo Games has joined our party. Get 10% off your purchase with Mondo Games using promo code LEVELUP. You can go straight to their website or just click the Mondo button on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Want to expand your options in Unmatched? Enjoy a solo game of A Gentle Rain. Or maybe you're getting fired up for The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. Don't just score some loot, get 10% off with promo code LEVELUP.
2: I remember being nervous, not knowing what to expect. When you get called, you never know what to expect. When you get there, you have to assess winds, temperature, humidity. Fire is unpredictable. In the grasslands of Wyoming, we get to do lots of point-head attacks and knock down the fire with water, doing five or six of those a day. One time, it was me and another more trained fighter. I went and took the bladder bag and squirted the edge of the fire while he stamped it out. Then the helicopters would come and drop the water on larger areas. We would spend an hour putting out an entire fire. For large fires, fire use was used to monitor fires. As long as there are no buildings in the area, we would often watch fire burn and observe how it behaves. It was a spectacle of how fire works, and the way it would burn would just mesmerize me. One day, the fire would be dead, barely moving, completely fine. The next day, it would be out of control, and at least twice, we had to call him back up. It's crazy how fast things change. Firefighters usually get in trouble when the wind changes on them, One minute you're safe, the next you're hauling yourself to safety. You would just feel adrenaline. I've talked to a lot of firefighters who saw fires get so powerful that the fire whirls, which are tornadoes of fire, they would toss trees hundreds of feet into the air. It would run right through the lines that they would create to stop the fire. Lots of times, fires get out of control and there's nothing you can do but let it burn. Burn and hope that you can stop it from spreading somewhere else. Welcome, adventurers, to Lost Loot, the part of the podcast where we shed some much-deserved light on games ranked below 1,000 on BoardGameGeek.com. What you just heard was an excerpt from Savannah Bowman, my sister-in-law, who served at Engine 431 at Ashley National Forest in Duchesne, Utah. The reason I talk about firefighting and her experience with that is because today we are talking about the game Fire Tower, a game that comes in at a rank of 3,231 on the board game geek ranking system. Released in 2019 by Samuel Bryant and Gwen Rowe, with art by Kevin Will, and published by Runaway Parade Games. Fire Tower is, at its heart, a 2-4 player abstract strategy and hand management game that can be played 1-5 players with the recently released Rising Flame expansion. Gameplay is simple. Place one fire token on the board that is orthogonally adjacent to any other fire token, as long as it is corresponding with the current wind direction, the wind direction being north, south, east, or west. This wind will change throughout the course of the game. On a player's turn, they will place one fire token and then play one of six cards in their hand. Card abilities range from being able to place more fire tokens on the board, getting rid of fire tokens, and putting up fire breaks to stop the fire from spreading or changing the wind direction. Once the player resolves their card, and they draw another from the deck, and play continues to the next player. To win the game, players must maneuver the fire tokens to the other player's fire tower located at each corner of the board. When a player places a fire token on the corner of your fire tower, your fire tower is burned down. At two players, this would trigger the end of the game. In a three to four player game, however, players have the option of becoming a vengeful shadow of the wood. This gives the eliminated player access to a few new abilities that still make it possible, although a little more difficult to win the game. How did I find this game? Well, I was volunteering at Origins in the board game room. This game was part of the new releases section and was being checked out often enough for me to notice throughout the course of the day. On my break, I meandered my way through the exhibit hall and found myself at Runaway Parade's booth. There, they had three or four tables demoing the game. I came back the next day with my wife and son, and she and I were able to demo it with who I think was the designer. Long story short, we fell in love with Fire Tower and bought it and its newly released expansion. Why did I choose to share this on the Lost Loose segment? Well, as I was in the board game room, I was asking my fellow volunteers what they knew about this game. Got no answer from everyone. After doing a little more research, I found out that this was being demoed at many cons for a couple years, having been released in 2019 and I thought that this deserved a lot more attention than it seems to have gotten. The game comes with little plastic tokens that represent fire, and this is what immediately drew me to it. They look fantastic on the board. The other components may be a little lower quality to help with cost, but it is absolutely worth it to see these little fire tokens spread across the board throughout the course of the game. The theme is incorporated very well into this game, and although I suppose it could be possible to paste another one on, I think the wildfire idea is unique and interesting. This is not a complex game. The gameplay is quick and straightforward, and provides enough to strategic depth to make it interesting each time you play, with just enough luck elements to make new players feel welcome to the table against older, more experienced players. Now, I've had the opportunity to play this three times at two-player, and I gotta say, I absolutely adore this game. It is such a tug-of-war feeling when you're trying to maneuver your way around your opponent's defenses, trying to place the fire tokens and change the win at just the right moment where are able to make your move and burn your other player's fire tower down. Me and my wife absolutely adore this game. My, this is probably the, my favorite game we've picked up at Origins. And this is competing with games like Kabuto Sumo, which has gotten a lot of attention recently, to other games like King of Tokyo Dark. But this game honestly beats it out for me. Much as I like that game, this is just a simple, cool, and beautiful game i have never seen a game that has grabbed my attention quicker than the fire tower and what i think makes this game so fun for me what makes it lost loot is that apparently they have been demoing at con for a couple years um the pandemic has been horrible obviously but origins was a little different this was my first year going to origins um going to a game fair in general and origins was small as probably some of you know it was i heard a quarter of the size of what it usually is And lots of big publishers had pulled out. And as I was talking to people, what this did is allow smaller publishers to come in and show off their games. And I gotta say, I think that's a huge plus. As a small business owner myself, it's hard to stand out sometimes in a sea of big business and people who have established themselves as a pretty competent name. But people were able to demo these smaller games from smaller publishers, and Fire Tower was no exception. These smaller cons has given these publishers an opportunity to show off what they can do and what they have to look forward to if they choose to buy their product. I absolutely believe that Fire Tower deserves a lot more respect and attention. Guys, it is fun. Adventurers, if you see a copy of Fire Tower somewhere, whether it be at a con or store, you should pick it up. You can put my name on it. It is absolutely fantastic. Now I haven't played it at three or four, but as I've talked to people doing research, a lot of people like it at three or four. The shadow of the wood element, where you're basically rolling dice and playing other cards to try to burn the other player's fire tower, has a unique aspect that doesn't take you away from the game. It gives a player who may have not be good at you know strategically placing the fire tokens, or even just playing cards at the right moment knowing when to change the reduction, opportunity to, if you're playing at four players, to team up and try to win together. And to me, that's just great design. The only downside is that the game comes with a champion of the wood card, which basically gives the winner extra abilities if they keep winning and winning. I'm not a fan of giving a winner extra abilities just because they won. I'm really not, especially at the end of the game, and that transfers to a next game. But you can completely ignore that and just play normally. Well, adventurers, I'm going to turn the time back over to Patrick and Scott. And remember, when you're going through the ins and outs of your favorite cons, whether it be Origins, Pax, or Gen Con, keep your eye on the small booths. You never know when you might find some Lost Loot.
0: Boy, I tell you what, I love Lost Loot. Yeah, so Fire one- Tower, did you ever hear of this one, Scott?
1: Yes, I saw this one at Origins the last time I was there. I just remember seeing those little orange flames all over the place. They had their sign up with fire tower with little Christmas lights in it, but I never had the chance to sit down and play it. I'm glad that Josh brought this up and brought it back in my memory, so i got to keep an eye open for this and see if there's some place I can borrow it and play it, like a game library or something. That would be a great one. Hold that thought. What?
0: Josh is going to be at PAX. Oh, boy. And he's from Philly originally. <laughs> so the, the dude manages a restaurant, like his family-owned smokehouse, barbecue, brisket, you name it, in the Carolinas. So you know he knows where the good food, like this is a guy that knows his food. I'm sure he knows the good places in Philly. So I told Josh we'll make it an issue to meet up with him. Maybe we'll make it an issue to get in a play, a fire Most tower.
1: definitely. That sounds awesome.
0: Adventures, our discussion topic today is a bit of a follow-up from the last regular episode where we talked about the increasing prices of games. Scott said, you know what? I know you do all this buying and selling online on Facebook, but I want to do a discussion about it because I don't know that much about it. I've never done it. And I think adventurers would want to hear it as well. So we put that together. Scott, I guess ask away. All right. So I'm gonna
1: be the voice of the people here asking big brain pat what you need to right. do
0: here <laughs> so,
1: now then we kind of get an idea about reselling games what's it going to do it's going to free up space for you it's going to give you more money to get other games mm-hmm. but at what point in time do you think eh, you know what i think i'm going get rid of this game i i i feel good about it i like playing it but what's the thing that tips you over the edge to figure i'm going to get rid of this to move on to something else
0: typically it's is this game going to be one that i'm going to invest the time into learning the time into taking it to the shop teaching and playing to get it on the show because i have an existing collection of games and i have a massive shelf of shame a shelf of shame of course is the the shelf that has all the games that you bought and you've never played now i do a lot of buying so i buy a lot of games that i never intend on playing so you know, be that as it may, it's still on my shelf. Shame. If I look at a game and I say, you know what, I'm not going to try and get that into an episode, well, then I'm not going to spend the time that it takes to learn it and teach it, et cetera, so into the sell pile. Sometimes it's, I bought this game because I want to sell this game. Somebody had something for 20 bucks that I know I can get 45 on, or. You know, something of that nature where it's like, okay, I'm strictly buying to resell, but I don't think that that's the the root of your question. We're saying games that are in the collection, games that I've played and or loved, and it's time to go. It's Obviously, if I don't like a game, I'll play it twice. Okay, yeah, this is not for me. Mm -hmm. Sell pile. What about whenever it's a game that I really like? Something like Puerto Rico. I told you I sold my copy of Puerto Rico at one point. It's simply, you know, some games, they run their course. It's either... Too difficult to get back to the table because the the teach was really difficult. Or maybe my game group, uh, Rorik. There's a good one. Rorik, oh. Don of Kiev. I loved Rorik. I taught you guys how to play. I had the play mat and everything. And I know that we had an early episode where you were like, we need to do one that we didn't especially like. How about we go with Rorik? And I was like, oh, oh. my heart sank <laughs> because it's like, wait, I really loved Rorik. But you know what? Ryan didn't ask for it back. He didn't say, "Hey, let's get this back on the table." Jeremy never said, "Hey, I, r- I want to play that game again." While I want to play it again, I need to have the players that want to. Right. I don't have it, so I'm not gonna keep trying. I can get my money back on it, or, or maybe get out of it, having lost a whopping ten dollars. So, so that's what I did. Oftentimes, a lot of it just comes down to: Am I gonna get this back on the table? Am I excited to get it back on the table? Is anybody asking for it? And finally. Is there someone else in my group that owns this game? Mm. Do I have another card? Co- Do I need to have this or can I turn it into 40, 50, 60 bucks or whatever you know? game in question is worth? Right.
1: Now, whenever you're listing things, I know eBay's been around for years and I've sold some things on eBay. The one that I find interesting that I know you seem to love is you love the Facebook marketplace. You're always yes. doing the buying, trade, sell thing. How does that work for you? what What exactly do you do
0: with that? Okay, so on Facebook Marketplace, it's actually pretty simple, and I, I would even say it's easier than doing it on eBay. The way that it works is: number one, take some pictures of the games that you want to sell, whether it's uh, super detailed or just here's the stack. Take a picture. You're going to search Facebook, you're going to go to Marketplace on Facebook, but even before doing that, if you just put something in Marketplace, then that's just open. If you put something in your area's flea market, well, you're not targeting gamers. There are groups that are specifically designed for buying, selling, and even trading board games join some of those groups. One of them I think is called the Board Game Exchange. Another one is called Buy, Sell, Trade Board Games. There's something like 40,000 members. So there are worldwide members. But if you're looking for someone local, I guarantee you, as long as you don't live in the middle of nowhere, I guarantee you there's 50 people, 100 people. If you're in a giant city, a thousand people on there that are relatively close to you as well. So, you take your pictures and you post it on Facebook Marketplace. And whenever you do so, you have the option to list it in various groups. So, your listing will be in Marketplace, and then I can go down my groups. So, I I like, I sell a bunch of random crap as well. So, I'm in like the Greensburg area flea market page, the Westmoreland County yard sale page, right? (laughs) And I'm not putting my board games there because that's not getting, you know, some grandma is going to be like, (laughs) what's Terra Mystica and why is it $45? (laughs) You put it in these buy, sell, trade groups and you just click them. Click on that one and click on that one and click on the trade group, publish. And that's it. Then what happens is Facebook Messenger, an hour later or 10 minutes later, if you have a really hot deal, you'll get a message and it'll be some random schmo saying, hey, I want this game. And you say, okay, that's great. Here's an important factor. What is your zip code? I can get you a shipping quote. And we'll get to that with logistics shortly. But that's that's the thick and thin of it. If you're not putting something on eBay, which I don't think I got to give anybody a walkthrough, that's how I'm posting things on Facebook, Scott.
1: I always look at it sometimes whenever I'm posting it on there. I'm like, I have a bunch of old games that I don't think anybody would be at all interested in. So I think that's Mm -hmm. something there that kind of colors my idea of doing things on there. You said about the logistics of finding out about the zip code, about where the person is. Oh, uh, yeah. What comes up with that? Because I know eBay pretty much has everything streamlined. You just boop, 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 and it's done, and you print everything's out. Okay,
0: eBay kind of has things streamlined. Let me tell you what. I sold a copy of StarCraft on eBay. Mm-hmm. and I made the shipping $30, and I did a little bit of math. Okay, so if it's east of the Mississippi, they might overpay me on shipping by 4 bucks, and if it's west of the Mississippi, it might come to $35. All right, I can swallow that, so shipping 30 bucks, My buyer, and I put in there, U.S. only. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was in the U.S. Alaska? The other one. Hawaii? Yeah, shipping came to $65. Ouch. <laughs> So you get a message, someone says, hey, I want to buy Rorik, Don of Kiev, from you. So, okay, fantastic. What's your zip code? And they send you the zip code. Go on Google and get the zip, punch in the zip code. Just find out how far away they are from you, because that's going to give you an idea of what the shipping is going to cost. There are shipping estimators between UPS, uh, USPS. If you're not from the United States, I'm sure that there is a shipping estimator for your post in your country as well. Then... Now, this is probably United States specific, but they have websites like Apecorn and I use Pirate Ship. And I know that sounds like, wait, is that even fair? Pirate Ship. <laughs> I'm not sure how Pirate Ship works, but here's my guess. So don't, don't take this as this isn't uh, canon, this isn't in the lore. <laughs> <laughs> I know that if I have a commercial account, like we all know Amazon ships millions of packages a week. You know they're not paying full postage. If I want to ship that box that Amazon shipped to me, they spent $5 to get it to me. How come I got to spend 28 to get it a, across the state, right? Well, because of the amount that they're shipping. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I'm not sure. I think what Pirate Ship is is a commercial account that allows access to res- you know, just non-commercial people. Right. So I can go on there and I can punch in just like it would on USPS.com. I can punch in your address with the zip code and everything. And I hit, quote, price. And it'll give me the exact price. It'll say, here's what it is with USPS, here's what it is with UPS or FedEx. And you know what? It's at a discount because it's through a commercial account. So a flat rate box costs, I don't know, I'm gonna guess it's 1690 now or 17 and a dime. Yeah. That same size flat rate box is probably 1450. Now you wrap it in brown paper. Because it probably weighs less than 10 pounds if it's one game, and it's probably gonna come out to nine bucks to ship. So that's a way that you can take your game and say, you know what, shipping is $10, $12. And you'd be honest with your buyer. Like, let me give you a shipping quote. Okay, it comes to 11 bucks, I can get it to you. And here's a kicker if you buy more than one game, additional shipping is probably only gonna be like three bucks per game. Because mm-hmm. once the box is this big, what's making it three inches taller? Not that big a deal. So you print up a label from Pirate Ship or Ape Corner or whatever you're using, tape it to your box, drop it off at the post office, you're good to go. You just sold a game in the mail. Not
1: bad. Not bad at all. I think that was another thing. I would have just gone to USPS Postal Service, typed everything in there and paid whatever they had on there. I had no idea there were other options out there like that. So that's awesome. Oh,
0: yeah. In
1: your history of buying and selling games, has there been anything that you're like, this worked out so well you keep on working with that same
0: person is there anything like that at all um well there was like a double dip on a person i guess working out isn't maybe like great deals or someone that's willing it's like to me when i'm selling the dream is having someone that's like hey i'll take these seven games and that happens and it's like Mm -hmm. poof $240. $240. So you got to wrap up a big box, tape it up real good. There's a, a little bit of work involved in getting all mm-hmm. that packed up. Surprising amount of work because you got to make sure your games are secure. I'll put them in like a right. little plastic bag or something so that if the box gets wet, the game's not going to get wet. Packing peanuts, even like grocery bags. We save our grocery bags, the little plastic mm-hmm. bags, because Giant Eagle has the drop-off where you can go recycle them. Oh. I barely have to recycle them anymore because I'll use them as the, the filler. I'll stuff them into boxes <laughs> so that the the game is is safe in there, uh, and that is very important. If you're gonna if you're going to sell a game via Facebook and you're going to be shipping it, it is on you, the seller, to make sure that you're protecting the game. the buy mm-hmm. The buyer's expecting the game to show up in the condition that it left your house in, and sometimes the post office is not necessarily polite to our packaging so uh, well tiny fred tiny fred was was a good one he had a lot of games that he was giving a pretty good deal on and with a lot of folks and and he did this but a lot of folks will do the same thing where if you're buying a lot they're willing to give a bigger discount a lot of folks that are selling they just want space cleared maybe their house is getting overwhelmed maybe they got yelled at by the way you know maybe their husband or wife was like honey you got it. This this isn't okay. So all right, fine. I'll list some games, and I've been on the receiving end of that before. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever see me put up a sales post, it's because I got told about it. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, oftentimes, and I do the same thing for for buyers of my games. If you're willing to buy bulk games, like I don't want to buy one or two, I want to buy eleven of them. Mm-hmm. Then you can say, okay, do the math that comes to. I don't know, I'll say six hundred and twenty dollars. You, you you can say, Hey, will you take four eighty on this? They right. can say no. They can say, you know what, I'll I'll do it for five twenty. But right. in a roundabout way, if you're already getting deals on these games, let's say uh, let's say most of them are $60 games that the guy played once and he's asking 40 bucks for. I'm getting 33% off of this just because the shrink wrap is removed right. and the cards are already sorted. Scott, I've received games with sleeves already on the cards. Wow. I've received games with upgraded components like plastic pieces and whatnot. They didn't even state it in the post. It was in there. I've gotten uh, Kickstarter versions when they didn't specify like, oh, this is the Kickstarter version. Version, like oh they have a retail price nope it's Kickstarter version wow. I had games with um, 3D printed inserts dang oh yeah that's...
1: yeah yeah I remember that yeah uh,
0: what's the one? Grand Austria Hotel yep. had the uh, the inserts that's one that I got Scott I'm telling you I probably got that for thirty bucks wow had an insert in it as well just just making the insert would cost me that much money and time uh, so there are a lot of deals to be found especially when buying in bulk and and I've had my fair share of them and I've I've given my fair share as well.
1: Now, for someone that's just starting out, what is, like, one piece of advice you can tell them that would get them going into this direction of buying and selling games?
0: Okay. Uh, the one thing for the buyer would be the best deals are when you buy in bulk.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Now, if if you're looking to buy one game, you can get away with that, and you can still get a deal. But if you want to get a deal, buy in bulk. All right. The best advice for a seller... Oh, I would say, make sure you're packaging things so that they're protected. Maybe better than that would be find out what the game costs. Mm-hmm. like if I have a game that retails for fifty bucks, I can't put it on there for forty eight and expect to even get a nibble, right. Make sure that your pricing is appropriate, mm-hmm. not too high. And not too low. Don't give your stuff away unless you super. You know what? If you're getting your if you're giving your stuff away, it's contact at levelupgamepodcast.com. dot <laughs> com. <laughs> My wife will love you. We're always open to donations. <laughs> now,
1: before we get off of this, I think That you had said something about you had a pretty good story about one of your sales.
0: Oh, you have heard that now. This this didn't actually end in a sale, so I have a list up right now, and there's probably 25 games on it with an average price of 30 bucks. Some mm-hmm. of my like, some of them are five dollars, some of them are 60, but we got 750 in games. Basically, this guy messaged, he goes, Would you take 60? Yes. Which game are you interested? In? He said, all of them. And I was like, oh, awesome. What's your zip code? I can send you a quote. And he sends back, would you take 60? <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt because that happens sometimes. People think that like they see one game and they right. they message you it, it, with the intent on that one game. And I was like, I don't think you understand. This is This is over $700 in games. You're right. offering me $60. And I thought, okay, he's gonna message back and be like, oh my bad. No, he messaged back, he's like, Yeah, I'm kinda broke at the moment. Would you take (laughs) sixty? Now now we've all seen like the funny you know, like clickbait articles that are like times that people got snarky. Part of me wanted to do that, but I was like, nah. I just politely told him, you know. Obviously, I can't give you 95% off, you know, some absurd number off. Thank you for the offer, though, and and let him go in his way. But uh, everybody's got that story. And I hadn't had one in having done this for the last three years. And I was was really glad that finally (laughs) I got that guy that's like, would you take 60?
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Good times. Good times buying and selling. Yeah. So would
1: you say best thing to start off with, with Facebook or eBay?
0: I would go Facebook. eBay takes... eBay takes a percentage, Mm -hmm. um, plus eBay has some shipping – like eBay is going to let the buyer sometimes select shipping. I just – between eBay, between the eBay fee and the PayPal fee that's linked to eBay, you're going to lose like 12%. 10%. 10%. Okay. We'll, we'll say 10%. So you sell a $100 game or, or a game that you can get $100 for. You're going to get 90 bucks, mm. And that's assuming that you have the buyer pays shipping. If you do it through Facebook, you're going to get 100 bucks. Now, when you're the buyer buying a game, this should have been my most important piece of advice. You always do PayPal paying for goods and services, not family and friends. Okay. You don't trust them unless you've dealt with them before or you know them personally. You pay that way. That protects you so that if they don't send you anything... Or they print out a shipping label on an empty box and they send you an empty box, you can still say, Hey, this was not what I paid for. PayPal will reimburse you. That's like a two percent fee. So that hundred dollar game, if you did it through Facebook and they paid you with goods and services, you get like ninety seven fifty. We'll say it's two and a half.
1: So the most important thing you can say is use goods and services on PayPal, not friends and family. That's yeah, that's when awesome. you're the buyer. I had no idea about that. So That was awesome. I hope that answered a lot of questions that I know I had. Hey, Patrick, thank you for being on the show today. It was wonderful for you to be a guest on the (laughs) Level Up Board Game podcast. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to you again soon.
0: Hey, Adventurers. This is the part when you listen to your other shows where they ask you for your money. Become a Patreon supporter, and you'll get the episode early. Or maybe back their Kickstarter, and they'll send you a pint glass. This is where other shows tell you they couldn't do their content without your money. At Level Up, we do this because we love gaming and we want to share our thoughts as well as hear yours. We want to talk with designers. Keep your money. Use it to buy some more games. We still want your support, though, and the best way to do so is to rate us a 10 in iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback we've had to this point. The input from our listeners has been tremendous, and we can't thank you enough. Our one request is that if you're enjoying this show... The old games in the level back episodes, the adventures on the horizon, the interviews with the designers of upcoming Kickstarters, the reviews, the solo adventures, the Academy, Lost Loot, side quests, and more. Please take three minutes of your time and give us that 10-star rating on iTunes. It really means a lot to us. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. And now, back to the adventure.
1: Boy, oh boy, I tell you what, in one week I was a king, I was a paranoid schizophrenic, and I was a meth dealer, all for different jobs this week.
0: So yeah, I was going to say, you're going to have to explain that.
1: Yeah, 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 we'll we'll get on that on a later episode. But That's
0: for another day.
1: Yes. I've been busy with a lot of things that are not gaming related, and I know you've been becoming... Uh, I've been
0: picking up the slack.
1: Yeah, 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 and you're definitely getting it in the tabletop simulator, I see that you played one
0: Golden Star, the Galactic Tournament. That's it golden star the galactic tournament okay so what was up on this one okay golden star the theme is that you're playing a duo competing in the golden star tournament organized by the empress so each player is going to get a team of two characters and each character has its own small deck of cards that you mash together at the start of play now this is not like a smash up style kind of but it's a much smaller deck that you have to work with The layout of your play area, your board on the table, is several small boards that represent locations. Now the goal of the game is to win challenges at each location in order to acquire that location's trophy. In challenging at the location, other players will inevitably try and stop you. So on your turn, if you're like, I'm going to challenge in this swampland, then on somebody else's turn, they can move in there with basically move their character into that swampland with you, at which point they're challenging you and combat ensues. Mm -hmm. Combat's done with cards in hand. Each player plays a base combat card face down, and it's going to have a value on it. So I played a five, you played a six, but we don't know what each other played. Then you can play a charge card. Basically, it's a modifier that's going to add strength. That one's going to go face up. So you see my modifier is a plus one. I see yours is a plus three. And it's like, oh, so Scott must have a weak card underneath it. Maybe that was his only modifier. When everyone's finished playing these charge cards, the original face down card is revealed and the totals are added up. Now, each player has a chance to play a response card that can further impact on the combat values. So kind of like in Magic, how it used to have uh, sorceries, instants, and interrupts. Mm -hmm. Think of this like the sorcery is the face down card, the instant is the charge, the interrupt is the, but wait, I got more, and you can stack as many as you have available in your hand. Obviously, you don't want to drain your whole hand for one combat necessarily, but you can play as many as you have. When everyone is passed on playing those final modifiers, the highest total, is the winner which if you're the one initiating the combat you get the trophy if you're not the one initiating the combat you've just defended that area now at some point a player or several are going to have two trophies at that point regardless of their location they can initiate the final challenge which if they win they win the game otherwise play's just going to continue So that's the skeleton of Golden Star. That's the base mechanics. There are some rules pertaining to like adjacency for your characters, or if you have someone that's adjacent to a fight that you're not even in, there is more meat on the bones than that. But that's our skeleton here. Let's look at, uh, let's look at the meat of this game. First, the decks are different and you get two characters at random. And that's going to make your game feel different, because the red guy is super aggressive, and the green guy is super defensive, and the yellow guy is super fast. So what if you're playing a green-yellow deck, or you're playing an orange-purple deck? Well, you're going to have two very different games based on those cards that you mash together at the beginning. Second, you acquire coins throughout the game you may use to purchase cards from a market this game has a shared market which i love in a game much like a much like a game like clank for example where where there's a pool from which everyone can choose cards the flavor added to the game and the differentiation from player to player introduced by that market in my opinion is what takes us from being a decent game to a pretty darn good one to an excellent game third each of these locations that make up that that main board you know i said you're going to set down these these location cards at the beginning and they're not cards they're they're cardboard they're like a board seven of them in the middle each of these locations have a unique ability and the locations are set up at random so mm-hmm. some locations might allow you to heal Others might allow you to draw extra cards or acquire some coins. So on your turn, you might be, okay, I'm going to visit the Swampland and use its ability. I'm going to play this card. And for my third action, I'm going to visit that stadium because I intend on using its action to start my next turn, right? There's a lot of things you can do based on the board layout. Furthermore, you can increase your power at the locations by paying a certain amount of power to be the crowd favorite. So those power cards you have in hand for combat, What if they're gumming up your hand. What if, you know, at the end of the turn, you got a disc card and you've got two of these big power cards you don't see yourself in a fight well your location you can say you know what i'm going to try and uh, be the crowd favorite in this area so on the left it might have a five a six and a seven the first person to become a crowd favorite you just have to pay five power discard cards in your hand equaling five power Mm -hmm. you get to put one of your color markers on that location you're a crowd favorite you get a plus one you're amplified every time you fight in that arena It helps. If you're going long game, oh my gosh, does it help? Finally, Golden Star plays in under an hour, even at three players. The playthrough that I did with the designer and I think it was Meeple Knights. uh, The Meeple Knight guy was in our game. Um, (laughs) We got it done in under an hour and that's using TTS where it's not quite as easy to like click and drag things as it's just pick up the Meeple in a game, for example. Most games under an hour don't give you the same kind of depth that I got from Golden Star. I had a really good time with it.
1: Well, that's really cool. I mean, that's that's something there that kind of goes through my mind But how long it took you to play on TTS. Like you said, it takes you a little bit more time. You said one thing that really kind of perked me up whenever you said about miniatures. Mm-hmm. What kind of components are in this game then? You said oh, about uh, the cards and stuff, but is there anything else?
0: Yeah, yeah. So with TTS, of course, you have to talk with the designer about what, we can expect from the this one's not a Kickstarter. this one is actually live on game found now and you can see the components there uh scott and adventures the miniatures they have little like insert spots on the base where you put health tokens Ooh. so you can get up to a max five health and if you take a damage you just remove one and there's a little slot in the base of the miniature to hold those health tokens so you get the minis and the minis look good you have thick cardboard for all of the, the various locations that make up the main board. Thick cardboard for your player board as well. The art on the cards looks really good. I mean, it feels like a sort of a futuristic comic book style, you know, laser guns and robots battling it out.
1: Yeah, I'm taking a look here on GameFound, and wow, the artwork is gorgeous. That is some, I mean, really, really amazing artwork. Wow, looks very, very cool.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Uh, I have backed it and hoping to get this one relatively quick. I want to play it. It's an easy teach. It's got that going for it, too. There's, for a game that has a lot of meat on the bones and a lot of tactical decisions to make, it's not difficult to teach someone, and it's not difficult for someone to understand it. Oftentimes, when something is easy to grasp, well, then it's just not tactically rich. Right. This is.
1: All right, so that is... An- early look at Golden Star, the galactic tournament. Yeah, Game Found. I take a look at this, and I should not have found Game Found, <laughs> I can tell you that much. <laughs> uh, it makes things too easy compared to Kickstarter.
0: Well, Scott, we've come to that time of the episode. We're winding down. This is another lengthy one. In spite of us trying to keep them down to an hour and a half, we, we keep creeping over, but we made it. That we did. Once again,
1: I'm hoping that people are realizing that things are feeling a little more organic and just a little more just, hey, let's let's shoot the crap here and uh talk about some games here. Not really a format or anything. So it's it's fun to do this. Uh yeah, just, just like you're just sitting talk. around the shop just talking about games. Mm-hmm. So. Once we get to the end of the show, it always comes up to this one spot, how you leveled up in real life. Patrick, how did you level up this time?
0: Well, my level up is actually board game centric, but it's also a life level up. I feel like I made a friend, Scott. Remember Uh-oh. I said Ryan was, uh, Ryan's the one that taught me viticulture, mm-hmm. uh, he, and I was joking about, I'm going to make Ryan teach me on Mars, yeah. but I wasn't joking. Ryan taught me on Mars. So we oh. met on TTS. Well, we met through Discord or something and, and fired up TTS. And I'm telling you what, I sat down. I was like, okay, we got to start at like 9.15 because my daughter's sleeping. I have it in the back of my head. Like, we might not finish, but if this goes till midnight, I'm okay with that. He was done teaching it. And it was after 10 o'clock, and I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're talking out loud. And any that I'm learning a game, especially a complicated game, I'll talk out loud and narrate my turns. Right. A, when you're not at the same time, even when I'm at a table with someone, I want them to see what I'm doing and verify that what I'm doing is actually correct in the game. And in this case, you know, there's so much, well, now, wait a minute. You have to uh, – you know, like, he's correcting me and, and teaching me the processes, so it's taking extra time that way. So it's two hours, one night, and then two hours, another night, And then two hours, a third night. Oh my God. He did say to me, he's like, you know what? It's not normally this long. I went for a really goofy strategy so that you could have plenty of game to learn it. I feel like I learned it. We got back on the next night and we did hammer out a game in an evening. I feel like he let me win, but I did win. (laughs) I feel like I I understand the game now. I'm ready to teach it. I don't think you're going to want to learn it because. Oh, is it meaty, Scott? Maybe we'll make that a, a challenge. Try and get Scott to play on Mars before the... You know who will do it? Jason will play on Mars.
1: Oh, hey, I'll give it a try there. Definitely.
0: How did you level up since our last... Oh, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the time and effort and you're putting up with my learning process. How'd you level up since we last spoke, Scott?
1: Well, and I had to say thank you, Ryan, for helping out and play games with Patrick while well, I've been really super busy. <laughs> yeah, we had to purchase a new car. Our car kind of went kaput. So we have a new car in our driveway, and it's, it's, it's kind of fun having a new car and being able to figure out where you're going to put your games at. And, and, and the thing about it is the back of it, it's a, a Nissan Rogue. Uh-huh. You can take the floor of the back out and put shells in the back. So I'm like, this is freaking awesome! I can have a whole library of games in the back of my car. A mobile at any time, game period. library.
0: Oh, I can see you goodness. trying to sell your wife on this car, honey. We need the rogue. <laughs> this is amazing.
1: <laughs> so and it always goes back to the whole joke. Whenever I travel for work, someone says, "So, so Scott, did you bring a game with you?" And everyone else I work with, they kind of look at me like, do you think he only has one game with him? Really? And I normally don't. I normally have about 15. But, uh, but hey, I digress. <laughs> but anxious to get this one on the road here and start traveling some more with work, get some more people into playing some games. That's like how it. things leveled up in our household this week. So, Patrick, I think I'm going to let you give the final thoughts here.
0: Yes. Uh. You want me to I'm uh, taking us? Okay. Uh, did you ever watch the Red Green show?
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, I haven't seen that in years. Keep your stick on the ice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sounds great. Hey,
0: take care, everybody. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There, you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.